0: For the last several weeks, we've been looking at what I've called the principles of a faithful ministry. We're going to end a five-week emphasis on those principles this morning. And it's another ification sermon. You've heard sermons on justification and sanctification. And this morning will be glorification. A familiar term to many of you, maybe not familiar to some but we'll find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, the heart of what we'll look to for a few minutes and hope to find some encouragement in. Give your attention to God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray together. Father, would you take your word and work it into our hearts and into our minds? Would you grasp our attention this morning with the beauty, the reality of the hope of heaven? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a sermon on hope and a sermon on heaven. I hope that lifts your heart. Uh, I I hope that what you will hear this morning will be a breath of fresh air for you wherever you are in your walk with Christ, or maybe a part of His calling you to Himself. I was amazed this week in putting thoughts together for this. uh, A statistic from the the Pew Research Center that said this. 73% of Americans believe in some kind of afterlife beyond the grave. Not necessarily a Christian afterlife, but 73% of Americans believe that there is a life after death of some form, some fashion, that the grave is not the conclusion. Isn't that interesting? Would you have guessed that 73% of Americans right now in this era would believe that? That's shocking to me. You would think perhaps that opens the door for robust evangelism on our part. That they already have a sense, 73% of people, according to the statistic, if statistics are true, a lot of ifs there. But 73% are open to believing that there is something to an afterlife. You would think we'd be robust in our evangelism. But then I came across another statistic, not from the Pew Research Center, but a statistic that said this. A recent poll revealed that 83% of people would not tell their own family members if they won the lottery out of the fear of having to share their wealth. So maybe there's your answer for why our evangelism isn't so robust. We're just a selfish and self-centered people. 83%. That's a hard question to ask yourself over lunch today. Would you let the family know if you had a lottery ticket that won? There's something about us that is very selfish, certainly with our possessions. But our sharing the hope of heaven with those who need to be longing for it should be a natural application uh, from our sermon this morning. So three quick points, and I do want to work swiftly this morning. Glorification. What it is, how it is true, and why it matters for us. Once again, instead of trying to define the terms on my own, I'm going to look to our denominational standards, the Westminster standards, which say such helpful things in summarizing the Scriptures, putting together in one place and in sentences what the Scriptures teach us. So Shorter Catechism number 37 and number 38 asks these questions and then answers them. Listen to this, and it's printed for you as well. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at our death? Which is to say, if our faith is in Christ, what benefit is there to us at the moment that we die? Well, that's a fascinating question. What do the Scriptures teach? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves until the resurrection. Well, what benefits... Question thirty. It should be 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity." Beautiful summary of what the scriptures teach is true about the eternal state, about eternity. And those are helpful things. There are scriptures from which this comes, and there's more than I could share, but I've chosen two to speak from. One is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this as Jesus speaks to his disciples Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with Me that you also... May be where I am. So, what is glorification? Well, John 14, verse 3, would say it's a promised place. It's a place that has been promised by Jesus, by the scriptures, to the church. It also is a place prepared for us. Prepared for us. A promised place prepared for us. And then in 1 Peter, the passage that we read verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1, this promised place that's prepared for us, it says, is also kept for us. It's reserved for us. And that is such a beautiful, important truth that should give us a sense of calm and peace. Is there's a reservation made with authority, on our behalf, and it's being kept for us. It's not kept by us, it's kept for us. And I want you to see the beauty of that. He goes on then to say, and it is something that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And we understand that language. We're, we're living in a culture of plastic, that cracks, that fades in the sunlight. How many kids' toys have you thrown away because they sat outside for the summer months and they fade and they crack and they get weak over time? That's not possible with God's kingdom and with His promised place of heaven for us. It can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. It is a beautiful thing. It is kept for us. You may not recognize the name of Eric Bishop. Eric Bishop grew up in the 1980s in Terrell, Texas. He played high school football and basketball. He was a popular athlete. He was raised by his grandmother, not because his parents had been deceased, but because they just were overwhelmed by the thought of having a child. And so grandmother raised little Eric Bishop. And Eric would go to church with grandmother and found her to be a wonderful teacher, wonderful grandmother, wonderful mentor. She would make him learn to play the piano. He had a beautiful voice. He used those gifts in the church. And as he became a teenager, he did not have a hard time getting side jobs, doing wedding music, serving in various capacities with his gifts and skills. And though an African-American man living in a race-tense culture, he found himself becoming very popular, used by all communities within that town. And he began to make a lot of money as a teenager. And when he came home with his first wad of cash, he showed it to his grandmother with joy. And she took the cash from him and said, "You every time you make money, you bring that cash to me. And as a 14, 15-year-old boy, he began the pattern of every time he made money, he had to give it to grandmother. And though he loved his grandmother, he resented that action. Why is she doing this? Why can't I keep my own money? So he loved her, but he was a little resentful because he didn't understand until he was 21 years old, and grandmother said, okay, here's the card to your savings account. I've been saving the money, keeping it for you for all these years, because I knew that you would blow it on stupid things. (laughs) And as a 21-year-old, who now felt like the richest person in the world, He realized his grandmother had loved him well because she kept for him what he would have spent and wasted like a prodigal son. That person would go on and change their name from Eric Bishop to a new stage name, Jamie Foxx. If any of you know who Jamie Foxx is. It's a wonderful, powerful story. And I heard that years ago. I thought, you know what? The Lord loves us enough to keep, to guard, to reserve, to protect all of His promises to us because we would squander it in an instance. So glorification is a promise kept by God Himself that He will see it through. And then fourthly, it's the blessed hope that propels us through our suffering. The promise of glorification is the blessed hope, it says in verse 3, that God Himself has done, and it propels us through the hardest of suffering that we can experience. Verses 6-9, through continuing in the same passage where I stopped off, Peter says this, "...in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials." and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It is the blessed hope. It can't perish. It can't spoil. It can't fade. It is a real and true promise that is coming true for those in Christ Jesus. Can you be encouraged by that? In the midst of your suffering, whatever your suffering may be right now. It may be health diagnosis. It may be pain. It may be financial, economic stress and disappointment. It may be relationships. But can you find any hope in the promise of God for what He is going to do and complete in you? I've been speaking at Youth Group for the last few weeks of summer. And we've been talking about Matthew chapter 7 and being built upon the rock. And we've been talking about the winds and waves of this life that try to erode our foundation. And those winds and waves, figuratively, come in all kinds of ways. But one of those is suffering. It's physical suffering. And as I was preparing these thoughts this week, we probably had more calls to prayer for GPC family and friends for physical needs than I've heard in the two years that I've been here. All of a sudden, winds and waves. We need help. We need relief. We need meds to work. We need doctors to have wisdom. That's a part of how glorification can propel you. That no matter what comes in the here and now, there is a promise of something coming later. Because the winds and waves do come. They come for every one of us. Yesterday, I was forwarding my daughter uh, an article in the news that popped up that Justin Bieber has been diagnosed with what's it called? Ramsey. Oh, I have it in my notes. What is it? Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. My daughter thinks Justin Bieber, since she was a little girl, was the greatest musical performer in the world. Of course, he looks like a million bucks, she would say. And that virus is paralyzing half of his face. And it may or it may not get better. And I thought as I'm thinking about winds and waves, they come for every one of us in this life. They come for every one of us. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. But the hope of heaven, glorification, that blessed hope and promise, it is to propel us through our suffering. It gives us a context for it, as 1 Peter does. To not be surprised when it comes. The Scriptures tell us it is coming. Some of you know the name of the late J.I. Packer. Listen to these words. He says, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as His chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. Amen? Nobody wants to be chiseled on through sufferings. But God's always worked in His people's lives that way, and He's always done it for our good. So what hope is propelling you as you live through your daily mundane routine and the little sufferings or the big sufferings that come your way? Is the promise of glorification in heaven even on your radar? Well, of course, I'm a Christian. It's on my radar. So about 12 years ago, a pastor who's a good, dear friend of mine, he called me and we were talking and he said, Paul, I was thinking... I don't think about heaven very much. He was probably about 40 years old when he said it. And my immediate internal reaction was to think to myself, huh, you don't think about heaven very much? Well, I don't either. I'm thinking about everything else. All the demands, the busyness, the pace of life, the things to do. Is the Christian to be calmed and propelled by this hope and promise of God? We really are. But you and I tend to not think about it very much. Thankfully, some of our hymns in the church help us to think about it. They turn our attention heavenward about the promises that God is going to fulfill for us. But I just encourage you and challenge you this morning. Have you marveled over the hope of heaven? God's promise to you. Have you dwelled on it? Have you seen the beauty of it? Have you been comforted by it? Or are you settling for petty hopes? Little small hopes. Vacations, right? Ooh, can't wait to go on vacation. I'm going to Edisto in about an hour. I'm looking forward to it. But that's a small, petty hope. That's a small, petty hope. God's given us the hope of heaven. That modern-day theologian sums up pretty well how this world seems to think about heaven. That modern-day theologian being Kenny Chesney who says this, he sums it up, listen to what he says. Everybody wants to go to heaven, have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Someday I want to see those streets of gold, wear my halo, but I wouldn't mind waiting at least a hundred years or so. Everybody wants to go to heaven, have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. And then he closes it and says, I think I speak for the crowd. Meaning like this is how we all feel. Yeah, we want to go to heaven, but man, we love it down here. Right? (laughs) We've got to think like Christians, (laughs) y'all. Kenny doesn't speak for us as a crowd. Peter does. As he gives us this vision of what is ours, what one day will be true of us who are in Christ. So I just challenge myself in everything I've said. Don't let the here and now demand your attention, that you don't consider and dwell on the truths of what God has said he will do for us in Christ. Secondly, glorification how is it true? It is true, it is true, it is true, because it's been accomplished by Jesus. That's why it's true. It's not true because of anything in us, anything by us. It is because of the one who was for us. Jesus has done it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, He waits for His enemies to be made His footstool. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's Jesus who has secured our glorification. And the irony of it is that He did it. He suffered Himself to secure glory for others. He Himself suffered that we might receive glory. That's the Gospel irony. And it's how the Gospel always works. You never saw it coming that way. But it's the beautiful promise of Scripture. And it is true. It is true. Thirdly, glorification. Why it matters. Why does this matter so much? Well, it matters because our hope, the Christian's hope, is not in the things of this world. It's not. But our go-to hope tends to be the things of this world. And we've got to think like Christians and live like Christians. And secondly, it's because our home is not in this world. We are such a blessed people living in the time that we live in the America that we live. We are blessed. We are prosperous. And another way I would put it, I guess, is we're very comfortable. Very comfortable. Comfortable people don't think about heaven because we tend to think, I'm just fine. Like Kenny Chesney said, I'm just fine right here. And in thinking about our songs, our hymns that the church has always sung about heaven, I remembered some comments I had in a discussion with a person that turned my attention back to this. We were talking about how glorification really is a lost principle in the church. It's just not our focus. It's not our hope. We've replaced it with so many petty hopes. Then we started talking about the church's music. There are good hymns. Glorious things of Thee are spoken. Zion City of our God. Some good hymns that call our attention to the promise that's coming. But it was said to me, Paul, do you know who really had an eye for glorification and who sang about it? It's found in the Negro spirituals who were living in misery and suffering. And you read the Negro spirituals, and I did this week. They are longing for heaven. They had a context for glorification that somebody like me just hasn't had in life. Some of those lyrics, listen to this. You know the song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. 1867 is when that song was first published. Um, And the lyrics here are a little bit different because this is an original one. Does this person understand suffering? Listen to this. Nobody knows the trouble I've been through. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Although you see me going long, I have my trials here below. If you get there before I do, tell all my friends, I'm coming to heaven. That's just one. There are countless references to I'm going to heaven. The promises are true. Life here is hard. There is suffering in this life. There's pain. There's misery. But the train is headed to the station. And it will not be diverted. We're just so comfortable. And I'm thankful to be comfortable. I am. But I do think we should think more biblically, more scripturally about where we are going. We should find our comforts and our hope in that and in nothing else. I'll close with this. The big story, the the meta story of Scripture as it describes our lives. Let's just be reminded of it this morning. We're being called to suffer like our Savior. That's part of the job description. We will suffer to be faithful to the King. But in our suffering, the Scriptures say we are not left alone. He provides everything needed to endure in faith And to make it to the finish line, to persevere by faith. So we're called to suffer, but He empowers us and enables us to suffer well. And through that suffering, we're told to hope for that blessed hope of His coming and taking His church to be with Himself forever. And the question is do you believe that those three things describe your life? Do you believe that you're called to suffer? Do you believe that God is promising to be near to you in your suffering and to carry you to the finish line and that that finish line is the hope of heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade? That's what it is to think with the principle of glorification propelling us and driving us. Okay, one more thing and I'll close. So did I tell you I'm going to the beach today? So my thoughts um, this week on all this, my swirling thoughts. Uh, my, my family went to the beach yesterday, so I will go and catch up with them this afternoon. But I was thinking about my own childhood and driving to the beach with my family. And I wonder if you've had this experience. You're a little child and all you know is you're going to be in the car for hours and it takes forever, but you're excited to get to the destination And you'll ask the question, my kids ask me, I ask my parents, are we almost there yet? Are we almost there yet? How much longer? And my dad would say things that I would later say to my kids. said, you'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you get there, right? But then, little kids pick up on things like, I see a beech tree. A palmetto tree, right? And so you learn... The child learns, I start seeing beech trees, palmetto trees. We're getting close. We're getting close. And then you get to the beach and you see the water and it's all just so marvelous and so fun, especially for for little children. I thought about that this week. In in terms of glorification, you'll know it when you get there. right? Are we almost there yet? Don't know. Um, Sometimes we will get a diagnosis in life that jolts us, that rattles us. I think I want to encourage all of us, thinking like Christians, to see those as beech trees. We're being reminded of our frailty all the time. Death is coming. Beech trees remind us that we're getting close. But it's a beautiful thing to arrive. To be with your family at the beach. To be with our Father who is in heaven. Beech trees, they're coming for every one of us. Don't be afraid when you see them. Our hope is in Jesus. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Do you believe that? Let's pray that we would. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word that we so desperately need. We thank you for the hope of heaven. We pray, Lord, that You would propel us through suffering by believing in Your promises, by seeing life as You've described it, not as our culture has. And so, Lord, would You lift our hearts. And as we sing of the hope of heaven as a feast, Lord, may our hearts be lifted high. May our attention be heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we give You thanks for all Your promises in His name. Amen.